Welcome to Happy Startup School Radio. In this series, Lawrence interviews established startup founders and thought leaders. Hello, everybody. Right, uh, we are live. Um, so, my name is Lawrence uh, McCarhill. I am one of the founders of the Happy Startup School. So, some of you watching may know me and may know what we do, but um, we're really a community of people and a school that are um, looking at life differently and business different measure success, not just in profits, but also in, in happiness. And so we're always interested in talking to founders, leaders, change makers who are uh, challenging convention and also looking at, you know, different ways of approaching uh, the way we design our businesses and our lives. And today I'm really honored to have um, Aisha Purcell, who's, um, I think, believe talking to me from Seattle today or this morning, from where you are in the afternoon where I am. And Aisha is... Um, an author, so she's going to talk a little bit about her book, um, and she's also going to, I'm sure, tell us a little bit about her process of um, deconstruction, reconstruction, I believe it's called. And um, she's also the co-founder and creative director of an award-winning uh, design and innovation studio. And so, again, I'm sure she'll tell us a little bit about that. So, welcome today, Aisha. Great, Lawrence. Thank you so much for having me. Not and yet, I am, I am in Seattle. <laughs> and is it raining? I believe it rains a lot in Seattle. Looks like it's gonna rain. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so luckily, um, the viewers haven't been um, put through this uh, little moment we had before the call. Where we were trying to get uh, hangouts working, but you know, this is all kind of the bit uh, in front of the stage, and it all looks seamless, right? <laughs> I, we're very happy to have succeeded in connecting, right? <laughs> exactly. Yes. The universe conspired eventually. Yes. Okay. Um, so first off, I mean, when we um, we do a bunch of events, we get people together, and one of the first questions we often ask people as a bit of an icebreaker is just tell us one thing or one experience that might have shaped you as a, as a human being. And so I thought I'd throw that out to you this morning. And is there one thing that you can think of or point to that um, you know, has, has led to where you are today? Yes, I, I love that question. And you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is um, one that I didn't expect actually because I think there are many points in life that um, transform you and make you who you are. But the one that, when you ask me that, that, that comes to my mind is being seven, year old, seven years old in Izmir, Turkey, uh, on my way from home to school. I think I was in third grade. And in those times, you could, you know, I must have been, yeah, seven years old, you would let your kids walk to school in, in Izmir. Not anymore, but... Mm. I didn't let my kids walk to school so <laughs> when, when, when they were that age. But anyway, on the way to school, there was this um, Alliance Française, which was the um, French school and cultural center. And I went there for um, some French classes. It was a beautiful spring day, and I don't know why, but I decided that I was going to check out their backyard, their garden. So. I took a detour, I went to the back garden, and it was full of, filled with flowers and herbs, and they were coming up to my waist. So imagine this little girl in this kind of wild garden with um, ladybugs flying around. And I ran around in just that moment of happiness. And to me, that, that's the moment where I realized that I'm a person and that I can do things and that I have autonomy mm. and that, you know, nobody knew I was there, but I had the freedom to do that. And, uh, and that's the moment I often go back to when I want to go back to who I am. Mm. And so that, that's the moment. And then, of course, I went, I went to school. Nobody knows this except you. <laughs> <laughs> and... Would you say My mom doesn't know this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so would you try, say you're trying to recreate that moment ever since in terms of, it feels like a, a moment where you're very present. Very present and with a mind of my own and where I didn't ask for permission. And I found myself in a beautiful moment. Wow. Um, so I'm curious to know, given the work you do, um, I think you said it well in the video that I saw, which was, you know, you, you've had the experience designing products and now you use that experience to, to design, you know, your life and obviously help other people do the same for them. Um, right. So I'm curious to know, 
has that always been that way you talked about this is it you know it sounds like a, a kind of utopian view of like childhood and your upbringing and and doing the work you do now was there a period where you didn't have that and you experienced you know maybe what work could be like if you didn't follow that path um you know how one thing leads to another i mean i grew up in turkey i went to design school in turkey in ankara and then I came to New York to do my master's. I had the Fulbright scholarship uh, and I went to Pratt Institute, which was great. And then my uh, chairperson, Bruce Hanna, gave me my first real project with Noel um, to design office accessories together. That product came out, that collection came out and it's still on the market actually. And it's, um, you know, it had both our names on it. You know, Bruce Hanna and Aisha Birsell and I thought, I had it made and you know that I was just going to continue and little did I realize that um, it wasn't going to be so easy but um, you know when you don't know you can be very courageous so um, and I've had my studio ever since and kind of a uh, couple times thought um, you know when I was a kid growing up I wanted to become a lawyer and um, couple times thought I should have become a lawyer. Design is so hard. <laughs> and, um, those first years after uh, I finished the project with Bruce Hanna and I started my um, own studio, um, when I was reaching my 30s, there, there was one time that I thought, I should have become a lawyer. It's, this is so hard. And then boom, um, Toto um, from Japan you know, wanted to work with me, so I went to Japan and lived and worked there designing toilets uh, for a year. And so then I thought, design is great, I love doing this. And then, um, you know, and I continued designing many products um, from toilet seats to office systems to automobiles to pens and, you know, you name it, um, kitchen appliances. Actually, I can show them to you if you want. Yeah, why not? Um, It'd be great to see them. Okay. Um, let me, I many people say that they want to become a lawyer as a way to get out of a, a tough working environment. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like, um, yeah, I think I've met a lot of lawyers who want to get out of that world, but not many who want to get into it. Exactly. Well, luckily, every time I said that, something came along and pulled me back into being a designer. But can you see the toilet seat now? Yes. All right, so that's the toilet seat. It's unofficially coined as the world's most comfortable toilet seat. And that's partly because instead of being just a plastic shield for the um, toilet, it's really like a chair um, with a hole in it. And so then from toilets, I'll take you to office systems. This is the Resolve office system for Herman Miller. Um, then kitchen products for the Giada di Laurentiis brand uh, for Target. What I love about these kitchen products are that they're incredibly affordable, like the um, potato peeler is $7.99, but they, they're also beautifully designed and they're very ergonomic. Um, then some Phil's felt, felt architectural products, um, some Moroso pieces with um, craftspeople in West Africa and, um, and automobiles. This automobile project is actually very dear to me because this was our first project um, with Bibi, uh, who's become my husband and partner since. Mm -hmm. He's the SEC in Birsal Plus SEC. Mm -hmm. um, and this was our first project together. And when we met, and I did this project for Renault, the French automobile manufacturer, and um, when we met, he had been he had designed four cars for them, and then he met. We fell in love, and we had our best products, our kids, and <laughs> <laughs> and then he, you know, became my partner. Awesome. So, so it seems like um, well, you can feel the sort of care and attention and love put into the work you do. I mean, is, is that, where do you think that's come from? Is that something you've always had from a young age or do you have a family of designers, uh, you know, who have a similar? Yeah. Um, no, no I, I have a family of lawyers, hence that. Okay. Like, why don't I follow the family kind of line? But it's, um, no, you're right. I, 
I'm in love with um, design and actually I think what I'm in love with is the human scale of design. Um, and I learned this when, um, actually this was the catalyst that had me go to design school. Um, I was actually thinking of becoming an architect and a family friend came to tea and using a teacup said, have you heard industrial design? Look, look at this teacup, how it's designed, you know, it's how the edges, you know, soft so that, you know, you can put it in your mouth and then it has a handle so that you can hold it without burning yourself. Um, and then it has a saucer so that if you spill your tea, you don't ruin your mom's beautiful tablecloth. And that was so human and so human in scale. And at that moment, I fell in love with, with that. And, and I haven't lost that, this whole idea of doing something for people, for, uh, you know, making their lives a little bit better, easier, you know, maybe more, um, more fun, uh, more intuitive. And, uh, and it's been kind of like the, the center of my, my work, really. Mm. So it's, uh, and I think a lot of designers, I mean, design is, uh, it's a tough job for multiple reasons. One, one, it's risky um, because you know you're creating new things. You're creating the future based on what you know today. So, and that that is risky. Um, so, it doesn't always pay off. So, people know that you know there's sometimes that there will be failure. Um, two, it's hard to quantify, and in this business environment where everything needs to be measured. Um, it's not always easy to quantify the benefit of, of design. Um, so it's hard to, for businesses, our biggest partners, to trust designers mm -hmm. uh, and to, to build that design. And so it's hard, but it's, um, um, I think we have, we, we get so much pleasure out of that challenge that, um, we continue, and sometimes I I joke about you know uh, we're punished because it's such a beautiful field you know mm -hmm. when you don't always get the business results you want it's <laughs> and and to some people's eyes you're you're just drawing pictures all day and uh, getting paid to exactly. do it. <laughs> exactly. um, it's interesting that I mean we found um, in terms of design, I mean, you've talked a lot about the empathy you need to design a great experience or a product that people are going to, it's not just going to look good, but also something that actually makes their lives a bit better or easier or faster, whatever it might be. So did you ever have that battle between, you know, the artist in you and the, the pragmatist that this is going to work on a commercial or a kind of uh, usable level? Right. No, I'm actually very good at that. I. Um didn't want to become an artist because I knew that I needed constraints. And so I really welcomed the constraints of business. And, and this was something that, you know, they didn't teach in design school that uh, design is really all about business at the end of the day. It's a creative side of business, but you, you constantly work with business people and, um, and your products need to sell and they need to meet, um, certain criteria um, but I love that side of things mm -hmm. and uh, and often the um, the constraints are um, where the ideas come from you know I'll, I'll give you an example I just showed the uh, resolve office system and um, when I first started designing that uh, the business side of Herman Miller um, they told me you know we want you to design something that's 50% less expensive than anything we have on the market today. And I thought, great, because they've just asked me to innovate. Yeah. Because there's no way that I can make something 50% less by just incremental change. This has to be kind of a disruptive change. And sometimes, you know, hearing those things and understanding that the constraints could be used to your advantage are, um, yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. And so that well, leads me nicely on to startups because with a happy startup school and one of the, um, I suppose, areas that I'm passionate about and we're trying to push is for people to really get design at an early stage and to 
like you said, there's a bit of education needed to explain to people that this isn't, um, it can be seen as a luxury for many people. So in terms of how you communicate an idea or get an idea to spread or even find customers, um, what's your take on that in terms of explaining to someone who's really at the early stage where they've got limited resource, how you could actually maybe use that in your favor rather than seeing it as a negative? Right. So let, let me show you, if I may, another screen share um, and to just talk about what it is about design that's different so so do you see that thinking yeah. like a designer okay this is a screen grab from the book I guess is it exactly yeah. um, I talk about this in the book and I talk about this with our clients and students but you know, designers think differently, and I think it's really advantageous for for businesses to have a designer in the mix because one, designers are optimists. So we're optimists because we think that no matter what the um, challenge, we're going to come up with um, a better solution. And you want that optimism when you're going forward. Two, as you mentioned, the empathy. We're empathic. We put ourselves in other people's shoes. And often, these are the users. So we represent the, the user's voice. Um, holistic, we see the big picture. And um, I often use a simple technique um, to ask, you know, what's the emotion, what's the physical, what's the intellect, and what's the spirit of what we're doing? And that gives you a holistic 360 um, viewpoint. Um, it's collaborative, so we do work with disciplines of all kind, and we're, we're kind of like the glue that brings people together. And we connect the dots, and then we ask these what-if questions, which is really about being open-minded. So um, I think that's, in a nutshell, the value of having design in your um, in your group you know mm -hmm. and so would, would you say from that that designers make great entrepreneurs because a lot of the traits that you talked about there um, are certainly the traits that you might look for in a successful um, entrepreneur who's maybe willing to make mistakes when others think they're crazy <laughs> I love that connection yes I mean it's um, I guess in a way um, that's exactly it, it mm -hmm. uh, in and I find that as designers today, we're more and more becoming entrepreneurs ourselves because things are changing so rapidly. Um, you know, when I started out, I thought that I was just going to excel in what I was doing and become a master in, you know, products and kind of like this thing and do a bottle, do a eyeglasses, do a light and you know, do an office system. And then everything technology changed everything you know the economic downturn changed everything it um, so we are um, we ourselves are becoming entrepreneurs and I think if you look at what's going on um, with design studios you'll see this it, uh, you know, no, nobody's a pure product designer anymore yeah I believe there's also a fund in, <coughs> in the US called the designers fund which is only funds startups with designer Founders on their on their founding team, which I think is really interesting. Um, and uh, and in terms of, um, I'm keen to talk a bit more about how you've now sort of well pivoted a little bit. In, in, given that you've written this book, but you obviously still have the studio going. But um, at what point you thought, hang on, I've got this process. Um, how can I take this and apply it to something you know potentially even more meaningful than just products? So it's. Um it all happened kind of in an organic way. First of all, you know, I was having a great time designing products for you know, some of the best companies in the US. Um, and BB and I became partners and we had kids and we had a penthouse studio and it was like, it was kind of like a fairy tale. And then the economic downturn in 2008 kind of uh, was like a wake up call. Uh, where a lot of our clients took the work in-house and um, which made sense for them you know it um, they needed to kind of save money and we were like a easy budget item on their mm. uh, you know, on their budget sheet so um, 
but what happened is that you know not only did we that we didn't have projects and it was really um, depressing but I also found myself with a lot of time in my hands which I wasn't used to you know I had been quite successful and um, and there was always like one project after another and so th when that stopped and there was the stillness um, I didn't know what to do with all that time until um, Leah Kaplan who's one of my you know oldest collaborators um, she could see that I was really frustrated and um, she said look Aisha why don't you use this time because you have time um, to think about how you think because you think differently and that was like a lifeline and that um, allowed me to um, to come up with how I think which is the process you mentioned deconstruction reconstruction and so um, you know I didn't know that one negative thing was going to lead to a very positive thing which was really me going into my head into my kind of um, creative world and trying to define you know what happens you know how do you go from point A to point B and um, so once I had deconstruction reconstruction that opened a whole world of possibilities because um, um, we now had a process that we could go back to our clients with and say um, here's a process here's how we can help you think differently so that's one side that was one piece of the kind of um, formula or equation the other piece of it was then applying to your life which design the life you love is very much about applying design process and tools so deconstruction reconstruction to your life and um, that happened because I um, see my life as my biggest project and so once I had a process I thought well if my life is my biggest project and here's a design process kind of bringing the two together can I apply design process to my life mm -hmm. and it all started as an experiment it's you know I call it my moonlighting and um, and here we are six years later and a book later mm -hmm. um, thousands of people have done design the life you love um, and so that experiment really took off and it um, has now become um, kind of the the core of how we work so I talked a lot, but <laughs> no, no. So it's, well, I think a lot of the best ideas are, are moonlighting ideas. Well, the Happy Startup School is a started off as a side project three years ago, and we were running our design studio at the time. And uh, yeah, this was our passion project, which wouldn't go away and kept nagging and gnawing, and you know, is now is now the main thing. So yeah, it's funny how um, yeah those things which uh, we start as an experiment or a bit of fun often turn into something much bigger. Yeah, and people draw you. Um, you. You don't maybe quite realize it in the beginning. I don't know how it um, happened with a happy startup school, but it's, um, you know, I did with 12 people and then 12 more people came and then they told their friends and then, and with, you know, before I knew it, there was kind of like a community of people who um, were interested in designing their life. And, um, and all these years, I had tried to explain to people what I do. Which most people don't understand what you know, industrial design or product design is. And like you said, they just think you're just sketching some ideas. But as soon as um, I started talking about, well, I also do this, um, I teach design the life you love, people were like, really, when is the next one? Mm -hmm. I want to design my life. So there's this really interesting connection that when people get the concept of designing their life, you know, and they want to be the designers of their life. So. Yeah. <laughs> and, and do you think there's, um, well, quite freeing for people to have, yeah, and people love a silver bullet, don't they? It's like, oh, if you go to a business and say, we've got this process and it's gonna maybe not guarantee results, but it's gonna be something that you can hook onto rather than just this kind of myth of what design might be. Um, and likewise, with people starting a business or, or trying to design their, their life in terms of it's not just the sea of ideas and um, inspiration but actually a, a structured process that they can follow and I, I think that's what makes a huge difference is um, I don't think you can tell people go design your life um, you really need to show them the, um, the structure and kind of here's how you can do it and then 
take them along with you. And actually, um, I wanted to show you the four steps, if I could. Yeah, sure. Share my screen again. Yeah. Okay, so I'll just take you through the book a little bit. Here's the book. Do you see that? Yep, got the cover. Right, so, um, Ten Speed Press published it last October, and it's designed a life you love, a step-by-step -step guide to building a meaningful future. And it starts by saying, no prior creative experience necessary. So this is really important because this book was all about how can I make design process and tools accessible to everyone, not only designers, um, anyone who's interested in designing their life. And then when you open the book, the process is, um, so it has four steps. Deconstruction is where you start, and it's really about taking the whole apart and seeing what something is made up of, um, in this case, your life. And then point of view is then seeing the same parts differently um, and developing um, a different point of view, which is the heart of um, creativity. And then reconstruction is putting it back together, knowing that you can't have everything. So this is really important because um, this is about choosing what you want to invest your time and energy in. Mm -hmm. And then from that, um, expressing that um, uh, how those pieces go together by giving them form and making one plus one equal something unique a unique idea so that that's the um, that's the premise of the book in let's I found it interesting um, I think in the first part you talked about how uh, when you sort of deconstruct your life and look at it from the subjective point of view, um, you need to include the things that maybe you, the parts of your personality or things that you might do that you don't, you know, feel most proud of maybe, but just to put it all out there. And then when you try and put it back together, I think you say that you'll never put it back together the same way. So it's almost like a warning. Is that right beforehand that this, this is yes. going to change you and hopefully in a positive way? Yes, exactly. Lawrence, it's, that's my um, uh, trick when I do the workshops. Um, like you said, deconstruction is a great way to um, talk about the positive and the negative and the past and the present and the future and the things that you have and the things that you aspire to have. It's just like a, a for lack of a better expression, it's a mind dump and it's all accepting. But uh, once you do it, what it does is actually it breaks the preconceptions, the, the links that we assume are between things. Um, th that literally breaks as you deconstruct something. So um, I show this um, picture of a deconstructed, let me try if I can find that for you, hold on. A camera. You see this? Yeah. <laughs> I ask people, look at this camera. This is, um, I think, a Nikon that's been deconstructed. It goes from being a, this compact black box to like hundreds of pieces. And, and I ask you, can you put this back together? You know, could you? Yes. And most people say, no, we can't put it back together. And I say, exactly. That's like what deconstruction does. You can't, when you take something apart, you can't quite put it back the way it was before. And so if you have the perfect life, um, don't deconstruct it. And that's my cue for telling people, you know, um, when they come to a workshop or a master class, if you want to walk out, walk out. Because... <laughs> It's going to get comfortable. Once you do this, you're going to see your life differently. And but most people who who want to design their lives, they they come because they're at a certain point in their lives and they want to think differently about it. And you know, design you can't do design if they're if you're not solving a problem. So you you do need some that need of like I want to do things differently. 
And luckily, we all have that in our lives at one point or another, you know, for, for different reasons, right? Yeah. And for so some people, it's... Sorry. No, I was just going to say, so it's um, trying to get people to open up and be honest and, and maybe vulnerable about uh, what they're going through at that time if they've, yeah, it's hit a period of transition or uh, whatever it might be for them. Right. And, but again, you know, I think what makes a huge difference in some people have told me that um, people who've come to design the life you love, it's like it's worth um, kind of 10 hours with your therapist or like mm -hmm. even couples therapist. And I think the thing that makes such a huge difference is the qualities of design, the optimism, the creativity, the open-mindedness of asking what if. Um, at the end of the day, it's just a piece of paper and pen, a sketchbook and pen that you're using. So there's this sense that you can try on different ideas and it's not going to like um, bite you. You can fail and then turn the page and think about it again. Um, and then it's, um, it's the, the mood of design is also playful because there's, you need to be like kids like you need to be like that um, seven-year-old girl that I was describing that was like, let me go, you know, try this. You know, let me go into that garden. Kids try things and um, they learn by doing. Mm -hmm. And that really is the key to, to design and it's really key to design your life. Otherwise, it just becomes too heavy and you, you, um, you need to rise above that and and think about your life creatively and realize that you, you can do that, that you have the um, autonomy and the faculty to to think about your life differently. And I think a big part of that must be your, you know, the way you come across, you know, the way you must host those sessions, plus the, I suppose, the language and the tone of voice and the, the design of the, the book itself in that it makes people feel comfortable and safe, I guess, in that, you know, which must be a few people, a scary environment of putting their heart on the table, literally almost in some cases, if they're drawing it out or um, sharing their, their sort of, uh, washing their dirty linen in public, as we say. Right, it's, um, but I really want to come back and say that it's, um, again, it's, to me, it all lies in the, um, design process and tools because another thing that happens is that um, we were talking about this yesterday in, in that design doesn't ask you direct questions it inspires you and it helps you go on a ride of possibilities and then it you know asks you to reconstruct and make choices and that creativity is essential so like when i show that process of deconstruction reconstruction if you went from deconstruction directly to reconstruction i think it would be very limited because your brain in the middle needs to do a detour mm. of um, seeing things differently and so in the book one of the tools that i use is about heroes i ask people who their heroes are and that these people can be people you know or people you know of, and that they have some quality, something that is of interest to you, um, that you admire and maybe that you want to aspire to. And that is the inspiration point. It's kind of like um, when you're designing something, you might um, go to a museum or you, know, you might look at what's around you differently. And, um, and in designing your life, that's kind of the inspiration piece. When you think about your heroes, what you're actually doing is you're thinking about your values. And so, um, but if I were to ask you, you know, Lawrence, what are your values? That's such a hard question. I'm yeah. sure you would come up with a few, but it's, and then, you know, and it would be kind of the traditional values um, but then if you ask people what your heroes are and then tell them the qualities of your heroes also are telling you something about your values because that's the role of inspiration, uh, then it takes you to a very different place. And I think that that is what makes the whole thing um, different and not intimidating at all. Yeah, I found that really powerful, that element, because, um, yeah, like you said, if you just ask someone the values, they find it very hard. Um, 
and most people can think of their sort of heroes or people that they look up to i think it's a lot easier isn't it and would you say that some of that is what they aspire to be or that it's in them it's just maybe not fully realized in my mind it's kind of the same thing that um what you recognize in other people um as things that you aspire to are things that you believe in and that sometimes you have them sometimes you already have them sometimes you need to work on them but it's it's kind of like a north star you know it's yeah. a, and knowing those things make a huge difference because um I believe that if you don't know what those things are, you don't know how to make choices. And often I've found that in my life, I get most confused when times are challenging. You know, it's easy to represent my values and to say, okay, I'm going to share, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to be kind when things are going well. But then when things are hard or challenging, you, you kick into a survival mode. Yeah. And it's, um, you, you need to remind yourself or be reminded of, hold on one second, but these are still, this is still who I am. And so yeah. therefore I might not make the obvious choices, but I need to make the right choices or the, you know, the, the ones that I, um, I believe in. Yeah. I just want to say that um, this gets even more... Um, powerful, complicated and powerful when we work with um, large organizational teams. So you were mentioning that, um, you know, design the life you love is a piece of our work, right? Mm -hmm. We also do design the work you love where we, we work with like large organizations and teams and help them design the work they love. And there the dynamics are even more complicated and that's when I really have seen um, how design can be a powerful tool to bring people together, mm -hmm. um, to help them see things and kind of build on each other's ideas without feeling threatened or without having a breakdown of trust. Um, so it's, yeah. you know, I'd like anyway. to, I'd like your, um, I this at the events we run, we try to get people to who don't consider themselves to be creative to you know just start sketching or mapping out their vision or whatever it might be something just to get back to being that seven-year-old like you said and even having a lego workshop or um anything that makes them just break down those barriers and let their guard down that's amazing with a bit of a mission and you know a, a supportive group of people how suddenly they, they they're back in that mode without much push have you found that too absolutely and it's funny i we do need to do a workshop together, as we've talked before, but there's a lot of overlap in the tools that we use. And um, I, I start all my sessions with a drawing exercise where I ask people to draw each other. And that's, for some people, that's the hardest exercise. Mm -hmm. But it breaks the ice and it gets them to realize we're being creative. It's just... Um, yeah, suddenly the room fills up with laughter and yeah. before they know it, they're drawing. And that's the other thing that I found is that um, we all learn two, at least two languages when we're kids, you know, beyond the spoken language. We learn how to write. Well, then we, we also learn how to do math, but we also learn how to draw. So a couple languages. And then all of those go forward into the adult life, right? We continue to speak, we continue to write, we continue to do some math, and very few people continue to draw. Mm -hmm. And it's a huge loss because drawing and visualizing is an incredibly powerful part of how we think. And together it's just an, one more tool uh, in our toolbox. So, like you, I try to get people to reconnect with, like, we all know how to draw. It, it you know, doesn't matter if it's stick figure, who cares? But you need to be able to draw, to visualize your ideas. And whether these ideas are about your life, mm -hmm. about your work, 
or they're about a user experience or your vision as an entrepreneur, you need to be able to just for, for, stop worrying about your drawing skills, but mm -hmm. draw, you know, draw some arrows, draw some bubbles, and, you know. Yeah. And like you said, just let your inhibitions go a bit and, uh, yeah, not be judged because, um, yeah, like you said, when you're a kid, you don't think you just do, right? You just get on with it. Um, and so in terms of like, um, we were talking before the call, you were saying, uh, well, I was keen to know a bit about what have you learned from this process from Design the Life You Love, anything um, that you surprised you about people, the people you work with? Yes, um, two things actually. One is that how creative ordinary people are. They're extraordinarily creative. And when I say ordinary people, it's people who are not designers, the people who are not necessarily um, have had the training of design, that they're nevertheless extraordinarily creative. And, um, and I see this again and again. People come into the workshop and they're shy or they're like, but I don't know how to design, and they come out the other end with this incredibly um, kind of thoughtful, original vision for themselves. So that's the, the biggest thing I learned. Mm -hmm. um, ordinary people are extraordinarily creative, mm -hmm. and that you can, if you can visualize your life, um, you can change your life. And that I've learned because, you know, I run into people on the street or at my kids' school, or I get emails, and people say, Aisha, your process transformed my life, and here's what I did, you know, and, you know, I quit my job, and I started my company, or, like, I, um, or I went back to school, or, like, my favorite is, I went home and taught the process to my wife, and now we design our lives together every Sunday, and when you hear those things, and that gives you the, the passion and the drive to continue, yeah. I feel like as a, a product designer, my whole goal was to you know, somehow positively impact people's lives. Mm. But it was always through products, right? Mm. You had to have something physical. And now with this process, it gives me at least one option where I'm able to share something about the design process that positively impacts people's lives. And um, and they are the designers, you know. I'm not the designer. They're, they're yeah. the designers. So, that, so it's very empowering for people to have that. I suppose it must be nice for you to have something that can work when you're not there and have that, well, I feel like you're making a real impact on people without physically, you know, sitting with them or, or you know, I suppose it is a product in a different way, right? But it's, it's that they're helping to create that. Exactly. And the, the book is also very much part of that, you know, to be able to um, share it at a level where, you know, I might not be there in the room with you, or you might not be in New York to come to one of the workshops or go to a conference where I'm speaking, but here's the book. And I really tried hard. The book took three years because I tried to get that um, feeling of like, you can do this, this is not difficult, and here's my voice, and I'm going to try and walk you through every step of the way um, and then here's some examples from people who've done the workshop so you can see how it's been done before mm. and then you, you just um, do it well it's a lovely book i must admit it's it just feels nice it's got the cover it, you know i brought it into the office the other day and everyone just picked it up and wanted to hold it and it, it's i think you described it more as a playbook than an actual book right it's very the idea is it's going to be interactive and lots of space for you to sketch, make mistakes, and actually, um, yeah, do the, the messy stuff of designing your life. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And if you, you know, if you mess this one up, turn the page, clean page. <laughs> There's always another life. <laughs> There's always another life. It's all redesigned, you know, make yourself a cup of tea or coffee and just, or, or wine, you know. <laughs> yeah. Put some music on and, and have but a go at it. Talking of seven-year-olds and play, my, my boys are in the background, as you can probably hear. I love bit, it. Getting a bit too excited. <laughs> <laughs> you know when you try and tell kids to be quiet, that's what you get is, uh, you know, it kind of bites you on the backside. So, um, yeah, so it serves me right. Um, Both happy and, you know, the life you're designed. I, I love it. My kids are at camp, so I wish they were here to um, 
kind of dis distract everybody from. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was about to ask how you balance all the stuff you're doing and maintain uh, sanity and have a family too. So this is me trying to do it. You know, um, work for me is, isn't as divided as, uh, as some people. I'm sure you're the same. It's that kind of overlap. So yeah, quickly, any any sort of silver nuggets from your process that you've used for yourself um, to, to, to kind of balance all the stuff you love doing because I'm sure it must be difficult. Two things, two tricks that I have. One is waking up really early in the morning, which I'm not a morning person, but I've learned to be um, while everybody is sleeping um, to do an hour of creative thinking. If I do that and I get that out of my system, I feel the rest of the day I'm much saner. Um, and so, and it, I find that today there's no time to do it. So you have to carve a little time some people do it very late in the evening, but I get sleepy, so I try and do it very early in the morning. Mm -hmm. That's one. And the other thing is, um, you know, like you, there's this constant challenge of, like, is my family first or is my work first? Mm -hmm. And they're both first, which, of yeah. course, is not possible. So what I find is um, during the week, my work comes first. Of course, my kids are there, but, you know, they're at school or whatever. Um, and then during the weekend, they come first. So I don't work on weekends mm -hmm. um, unless they're off to school. Because I find it's very hard to, if you work on weekends, to get your mind out of work and into fully, you know, 100% into your family. So I've made that kind of division. Mm -hmm. And that's also helped me. It's not super rigid but i know on you know, there the needs to be pockets of time where my kids come first and, yeah. sorry about the email or this and that it's <laughs> yeah exactly so it's, it's good like you said it's um adding those constraints to your life too not just letting this everything blur into one which you know can be can be difficult to manage right um, if you're always on with technology as we are right now um yeah. so i'm conscious but, of time yeah. Different um, style, right? It's, yeah, exactly. Everybody is doing it differently, which I think is really the interesting part. Yeah, I think what we're trying to do is, um, well, bring our kids to as many things that we do as possible to, you know, introduce them to different ways of working and thinking about, you know, living their life and and eventually what work, what work is and what work is when they're, well, my kids grow up and it might be very different to what work is now. Um, so finally, before we um, depart, um, yeah, I'm just keen to know any tips for anyone trying to find more meaningful work, because a lot of people in our community are at that period of transition, like you talked about, where they're trying to explore what's ahead for them. They're maybe not happy with their status quo or their current situation. So other than you know buying the book and going through that process, is there anything that you would say to them to um, yeah, as their first step to, to edge towards that? Um. One, I find friends incredibly helpful um, to work with friends and become friends with people you work with and include them in the conversation and kind of talk things out loud and kind of build a, a network of people with whom you can collaborate and kind of yeah. be open to their suggestions, even though at the end of the day you go with your, your gut feeling. And then the other thing that helps me a lot um, is to try and see things as an experiment mm -hmm. it, it's not uh, you do do it be it you know you don't know when you start something and so why don't you experiment yeah. um, and that kind of helps a little bit to m make you more courageous and and then realize well you know if it doesn't work I'll I'll try something else. Yeah, that's great. Um, I think that's partly why our community grew organically was just this, um, yeah, a need to, to be around like-minded people who are trying to do something different and maybe get out of their current situation. Often their existing friends or family might not be from that world and might not want them to step out of their comfort zone and try something different. So um, I think it's always good to be around people who, who um, think the same way that you do, like you said, and, and can inspire you but also challenge you too which is important I think. Uh, 
Awesome. And um, yeah, again, the idea of experimenting, I think it's great. Uh, there's a guy who spoke at our summer camp. We actually hosts the event. We, we talked about this event, but um, yeah, he says, just start something, whether it's a cake, cake sale at the local market, you know, don't worry about starting a business, start, start doing something. And then through that process, you'll learn about yourself and you'll learn about what, what might work. And the same thing applies to what you're talking about, I suppose, is, is to kind of think big, start small, right? Right, and part of that is um, saying yes, right? Hmm. Yes, I'll, I'll try that. It, um... Yeah, rather than finding excuses why you can't do it. Yeah, and sometimes, it, and for me, I found that it, saying yes is a humbling experience. Um, it's easier to say no. No, I don't, I won't do that, I can't do that. Um, so, I try to say yes more often. So we'll be seeing you at summer camp next year then? I would love that. <laughs> we tried yes. to get that to happen this year, but it didn't work with dates, I think. But um, yeah, whether it's that, we're actually, um, we're in talks to bring our altitude event to the US at some point later this year. So maybe we'll get to hook up there. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll let you know when that's confirmed. Um, and finally, Aisha, um, if people want to connect with you and follow, find out more about your work, where do they, where do they go? So they can go to um, aishabirsel.com when it's related to design the life you love, and then birselplussec.com when it's about more the design work. So if I write it here, will it go to everyone? Um, I think it might do, um, not for those on YouTube, but for those who are you know, watching the Hangout. Um, Alright, so it's A-Y-S-E-B-I-R-S-E-L.com. Okay. So that's one. And then the other is B-I-R-S-E-L-P-L-U-S-S-E-C-K.com. Mm -hmm. That's the um, business one. Awesome. And are you on Twitter? Oh, yes. I shave yourself. Um, uh, yes. I shave yourself sec. Okay, great. Well, I'm sure between one of those, they'll be able to get it. And um, yeah, like I said, I can't recommend the book highly enough. Um, yeah, some really useful stuff in there. And it feels fun, which I think is for, for a subject as big as your life is, um, isn't an easy thing to achieve. So well done. Uh, three years of, of hard work, I'm sure. Lawrence, I wanted to ask you, how did you get the book in England? Was it, can you get it through Amazon or? I'm pretty sure it was through Amazon, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, um, as far as I know, it was pretty seamless to get here, but, um, but yeah. I would love to have eventually somebody who publishes it in, in England and it doesn't require any translation, so. <laughs> yeah. And the reason we heard about you was through um, our friend Sinem, who actually was one of the people, was part of the crew for our first summer camp three years ago, and she's uh, from Turkish descent too, and so she spoke very highly of the workshops you run. So um, yeah, felt like we had a kindred spirit across the pond, so we had to connect. She did good. Sinem, yeah, exactly. thank you. <laughs> um, so thanks again for your time, and um, yeah, well, look forward to seeing where this heads, and hopefully we'll get to, to hang out at some point um, with you soon and, and see what comes of it. This was just the beginning. I thank you so much. No worries. <laughs> okay, guys. Thanks for listening. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye.